Well, good morning. Since I have the privilege to speak to you all from time to time, I'm, I'm always looking for uh, topics so that next time that opportunity arises, I'll have something to talk about. Over the past couple of months, I've been involved in something which, um, as I progressed through it, I couldn't help but think of the spiritual parallels and how there were lessons in what I was experiencing in my secular life that could very much be applied in a spiritual context and, and matched up to some scripture. So I started making some notes, and I mentioned to Eric that I had a sermon in the works, should he wish for me to fill in for him sometime. And interestingly, he, he chose to have me fill in today, the last Sunday of 2020. And it just so happens that I think this sermon today fits very well with the annual turning of the calendar. And I hope that you'll see that as well as we go through this today. <clears throat> One more note before I really jump into my topic is that I want to borrow a thought from the recordings that we've been using for our Wednesday night studies. As I share this message today, and I challenge you to ask yourself some potentially hard questions, understand that I'm directing this message as much at myself as any of you. So if, as you consider the things I'll share with you today, you feel like perhaps you've got some room for improvement, understand that I'm right there with you. In my mind, there are some very difficult questions ahead in this lesson today. So what is it that I've been involved in that has made such an impact on me? Well, a couple of months ago, we had a really strange meeting at work. It had a really different tone than any meeting I've been in before. It was a very serious, almost ominous tone to it. On the one hand, it seemed like there was a lot of information being shared, but at the same time, it raised more questions than answers. The one main message that came through pretty clear, though, was that uh, within the next week, Every single person in my department was going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with leadership, and we would be told more at that time. And the other thing that seemed clear is the jobs were going to be impacted. Not much more than that. And this leads me to my first spiritual application. So as employees, most of us were really shocked by this revelation. You know, all signs were that things were going great for our company. Sales were up. Profits were up. Generally speaking, life was, in fact, pretty good. And then suddenly, anyway, though, the ground kind of shifted underneath of us. It's like, what's going on? So if we put this in the spiritual realm, my mind goes to the words of James in James 4, 13 and following. James gives his audience some clear direction regarding what our attitude should be regarding the future. If you turn to James 4, you'll find this passage where he says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As humans, we like to make plans and have goals, and, and those things are certainly important and good, but, but we always have to keep in mind that all of our plans are subject to God's will. It is ultimately up to Him whether we're able to carry out those plans or not. Just like this news at work made it abundantly clear to me that I really had no particular control at that point whether I was going to remain employed or not, as Christians we need to always be mindful um, of this attitude in James, or that James tells us that we should have about life in general. We are not in control of tomorrow. We are, as James said, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
So my my first question to you is, do you make sure you always have that attitude? Do you always keep in the back of your mind that you might not have tomorrow? I mean, it's good to have plans, but it's also important to remember that those plans are subject to God's plans. This is a common time of year for people to make all sorts of plans, and if you're doing that, don't forget the instruction from James. Now, as the process at work moved forward, um, many people were required to effectively reapply for their positions. And this is where I encountered quite a few things that reflected spiritual principles in my view. My role in that process ended up being one of the interviewers, which put me in the really uncomfortable position of potentially having to interview teammates that I've worked with for years and then effectively pass judgment on their skills and their performance, possibly leading to them either keeping or losing their job. That was not a pleasant experience for anybody involved in it on any side of the equation. It was pretty rough. But a lesson that I took from this, though, is to keep your experience and your skills current. And there's a lot of applications to this. In the technology field, it's vitally important to maintain current skills and not rest on past accomplishments. There were those who were interviewed who no doubt had great skills, but unfortunately they hadn't kept those skills current, and therefore their value to the organization became very questionable. They had not remained passionate about continuing to grow. Does that remind you of any scriptures? One reference that comes to mind is in Revelation, where we read about the church in Sardis. If you want to turn to Revelation 3, you can, you can read along with me on this. Revelation 3 starts out with this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. As a Christian, it isn't enough to have done great things in the past. You can't retire from being a Christian while you're on this earth. That's not how it works. How about Philippians 2.12? This could be stretching the context of this passage a bit, but here in Philippians 2.12, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that sound like there's a time to stop working on our Christian mission? Or check out Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. It says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, verse 12, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. Or just just think about the example we have of the apostles. Did any of them ever rest on their past accomplishments, as far as we know? I'm sure you can think of many examples in Scripture, but we have to keep our Christian skills and experiences current. You know, it's not enough to say, well, you know, 15 years ago I went door knocking, so I, I can check evangelism off my list. 
You know, no, that's that's not how it works. It, it it doesn't work that way. There's almost always something you can be doing for the cause of Christ until you are completely physically stopped. Even if it's just writing letters or sending cards to encourage people, or it could even be as simple as devoting yourself to prayer for a foreign missionary in a dangerous land if that's all that your physical situation allows you to do. You've got to use whatever you've got to keep building your Christian resume, so to speak. Now, I want to be careful here. Please don't mistake what I'm saying here to be a works-based salvation mentality. That's not my point. I'm not suggesting that you have to do these things or any things to earn salvation. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is that we're told to do these things, so in order for us to be fully obedient, we must be busy doing these things. It's not about earning salvation, but it is about being obedient to the mission we've been given. Something else that I learned is that every single day is an interview. It was really enlightening to realize that in this situation, what happened in the actual interview was, in some cases, not as important as what someone did the week or the month or the year before. A person could have great stuff on his or her resume, but if the most recent memories of their performance were poor, well, that didn't bode so well for them. I could point back to a number of the passages we've already looked at, and I'd encourage you to think back through those for how they apply here. But an additional passage I want to reference now is 2 Timothy 2.14 and following. I'm actually going to use this passage for a couple of points, so let's read some of that. And Verse 15 was read for us earlier by Gage. We're going to start here in verse 14. So for 2 Timothy 2.14 starts, it says, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. (coughs) Excuse me. So first, in this passage, Paul instructs Timothy to do his best to present himself as a skilled worker who does not need to be ashamed of his work. In my work situation, those who had a reputation of not delivering quality work, well, they, they practically failed their interview before it even began. Their real interview was the weeks and the months leading up to that that particular event. And I think so it is in our Christian walk as well. By the time that we're called into our interview, so to speak, our destiny is set. It's too late at that point to overcome years of poor work or, in the case of non-Christians, disobedience to God. Now, I realize that maybe you might have a bone to pick with me over this point and how I'm presenting this, and if so, that's, that's okay, but just, just be patient with me and give me a chance to revisit this a little bit later. I said I wanted to use that same Second Timothy passage for two points, so here's my second point from that passage. Another pitfall that I witnessed for some of my co-workers was having a reputation of stirring up trouble. Now this one's tricky, both in the secular world and in the church world as well. The passage we just considered warns to avoid godless chatter. By the same token, 
we could reference multiple passages that show where standing up for truth and speaking out against false teaching is the right thing, even when it creates conflict. The challenge is that both can appear to be, quote, stirring up trouble, at least on the surface anyway. At work, it's admirable and respectable to be willing to speak up when something isn't right, even if it creates conflict. Well, the same should be true in the church. If something's not right, whether it's regarding a teaching or how somebody's being treated or, or whatever the situation could be, it's good and proper to make some noise and stand up and speak out as needed. Having said that, though, there can be those who take issue with virtually everything all the time, those who maybe promote questionable doctrine and won't listen to sound rebuttals against such teaching, or, or there can be those who engage in gossip to the detriment of the congregation. We have to always be on guard to make sure we strike that right balance. We've got to speak up when necessary and appropriate, but we also can't have a reputation of just always creating trouble, always stirring the pot when it's not necessary or when you can't support your position solidly with Scripture. Another lesson from my experience is that every day cannot be your first day. That's a saying that we sometimes use at work when people make really ridiculous mistakes. If it's your first day on the job, okay, mistakes happen. You know, after you've been in a role for a year, eh, no more free passes. You know, you, you've got to grow and you've got to mature in that role. Scripture tells us exactly the same thing. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3 if you'd like to read along. 1 Corinthians 3, right there at the first verse. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. If that one's not clear enough, turn over to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Here we find a passage that says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain, because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. <clears throat> so, from this point, the question is twofold. First, do you live on the milk of the word, still considering the basics, or have you matured to consume the more difficult parts of Scripture? Second, as the second passage references, have you trained yourself to distinguish good from evil, or do you still fail simple tests? Would you say that your life looks more like that of a mature Christian, rightly dividing the word, not afraid to tackle complex biblical concepts, or maybe does it look more like it's still your first day on the job as a Christian, so to speak? I skipped over one aspect of this experience at work that I, I want to circle back to now as I, as I start to wrap up. Don't get too excited. I've still got a little ways to go. Um, I spoke about how some, actually many in fact, had to interview in order to keep their jobs or find new jobs within the company I work for. The part that I skipped over was the mechanics of that. Before most of us knew anything at all about those upcoming changes that, that we ended up going through, two lists of people had been made. One list contained people who, 
by the choice of, of leadership, had been found to have unique skills or perhaps provided unique value and therefore would be placed into a role without having to interview. Well, that was a really good list to find yourself on. It meant that your job was secure and that you didn't have to go through the interview process and all of the uncertainty that that entailed. The other list, well, it contained everybody else. The people on the other list could have ended up there for a variety of reasons. Some were very skilled, but those skills could fit into a bunch of different areas, so the interview process would give them some say regarding where they landed. Some were people who, for whatever reason, were not known to leadership to have anything particularly unique to offer, or they had skills that no longer seemed to be needed. So the interview process was intended to let them highlight what they thought their particular value was in hopes of finding a place for them. And I'm sure there were a lot of other reasons people wound up on one list or the other. Uh, I wasn't privy to that part of the process and how those lists were formed. But I want to focus on the idea of these lists, though, and the idea of the actual interview as I, as I start to wrap up. First, hopefully it's obvious to all that there's a clear parallel in the scriptural realm with these lists. Because, you know, God has lists as well. Well, or at least he has a list. Look at Revelation 21 near the end. Um, I'll start here in verse 22 of Revelation 21 where we read about the new Jerusalem. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, <clears throat> but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> so there are effectively two lists. There's the Lamb's book of life, and then there's everyone else. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that those two lists have a similar eternal effect as the two lists at work had on jobs. I think God does have an interview process. Do you want to go through his interview process? Personally, I would rather be on the list that is somehow fast-tracked through that. I'm also pretty confident that if you do go through the interview process on your own merits, you're going to fail. I mean, that's the sad reality. It, and it turns out, similar to my work situation, that more important than who you know is who knows you. Matthew seven twenty one and following has these words of Jesus. Here Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <clears throat> so, does the Lamb know you? Is your name on the right list? Is your name in his book of life? Or are you heading for an interview that you will almost certainly fail? It's going to be one or the other, I think. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Later in that same chapter, verse 17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And then let's pair that with Galatians 3, 26 and 27, which says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Do you want to stand for judgment and defend yourself based on your own deeds? Or do you want to stand there clothed with Christ, with him acknowledging you as a washed, forgiven soul that has been obedient to his teaching? You know, I, I can't tell who is on which list, of course. We can all make educated guesses, but they aren't much more than that. They're just guesses. I know which list I think and hope I'm on, and hopefully you know which list you are on. But just like at work, where I was surprised to see which list some people landed on, on, on both sides, really... You know, it could be that we might be surprised to see who is on the Lamb's list and who isn't. Fortunately, our job isn't to know that. And our job is to make sure that as many people as possible know how to be on the right list. So, are you ready for your interview? And I hope that you realize that your interview is going on right now. At some point you will face judgment. And once that happens, it will be too late to correct your course. Much like some of my coworkers, your fate is being set right now, and it's been being set over days, weeks, years of history. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and following, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. And it goes on from there. Jesus also speaks about no one knowing when the end will come in Mark 13, 32 and following. I'm not going to read that, but you can look at it if you wish. So if you're not ready for your final interview when you stand before God, you've got to take action now. If you have friends, family members, neighbors that need to hear this message, you've got work to do. We've all got work to do. There's, there is no retirement for the Christian on earth. Tomorrow could be late. T- too late. For those of us that are longtime Christians, we cannot rest on history. We can't rest on what we did last year or last decade. Every day is a job interview for us. So are you living up to the job of Christian? If you were Jesus, looking at, at you yourself, at you as yourself... What would you say about yourself on a performance review? In, in one sense, we, we have to acknowledge that none of us meets God's expectations. You know, the, the Old Testament proves that over and over. And that's why we need the blood of Christ to atone for us, certainly. So let's maybe, I don't know, lower the bar a little bit, if you want to think of it that way. Would we be meeting even the apostles' expectations for the effort we're putting forth? Would the apostles choose you to be a partner in their ministry as they did with a variety of the men mentioned in Scripture? Would they say that you are faithfully carrying on their work of spreading the gospel? As we start a new year, 
If you judged yourself over the last year, would you renew your contract, so to speak, as a worker for Christ? I said at the beginning that I had hard questions to ask, and they were as much for me as for you. Are your, question, are your answers to those questions any better than my answers? Most importantly, if you need to be clothed with Christ, reach out to me or Eric or whoever else you're willing to talk to about it so that we can help you get ready. There's plenty of people even on the screen right now that would be happy to talk to you about that. So don't fail the most important interview that you're ever going to face. So my final question to you as we close is, are you ready for that interview? Let's go ahead and sing our invitation song now.